My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. It's a crazy time to be alive, that's for sure. I mean, when you think back to the year 2020, I just don't know how it can get any weirder, stranger, more dangerous. Uh, I, I think back to just a few years ago when I went to pick up my wife from the airport. This was back in the day. Do you remember the day before 9-11? There actually used to be a day before 9-11. I'm the kind of guy that would go to the airport. I would go to the gate. I'd park my car, pay the money, you know, for parking the car. I'd go there and I'd welcome my wife. And uh, just last week, I went to PDX to welcome a friend. And, you know, I, I parked the car and I tried to get in. And they, they have signs, don't even come in the airport anymore. Forget going to the gate. Forget hanging out, waiting for them to come through those exit doors. Don't even assemble. Why don't you just stay in your car? It's like, what a crazy world. I mean, you have to take your shoes off. You have to take your belt off. They have to look at all of everything. And it has to be three ounces or less. It's just a different world after 9-11. In fact, I was talking to that friend after I picked him up and we were driving away and I was commenting on that. He said, yeah, the new statement is no longer going to be, do you remember before 9-11? It is, do you remember before COVID-19? I mean, this world has changed in six months, in the last few months, the things that have happened to us. And as followers of Jesus Christ in this world that is rapidly changing, I ask you a question, how are you doing? How's your soul? How's your heart? How's your passion? How's your love for God? How's your love for others? How's your anxiety level? Probably rising, yeah. I mean, there's smoke all around us. There are fires. My wife just sent me a website that has a list and a visual picture of all the fires just here in Oregon. And it is unbelievable. And the smoke, we, we drove down by Albany for a dinner a couple nights ago, and we went over Bald Peak area, and it was, like, uh, it was like a movie. It was like a Spielberg movie, and I was expecting either an alien ship to come through or zombies to walk across the field because it just couldn't get any weirder, right? And into this, I, I want to ask you this question. How are you doing? And not just how are you doing, but how's the gospel doing in you? And what does it look like around you? 
How is Jesus showing up in your heart? How is the message that you have been saved from all your sin, from the result of that for all eternity, to be brought into a safe relationship with God through Jesus, and then put into this place where you are now delivering that message to others? What does it look like? You know, I know the world's changed a lot. I'm 55 years old. A couple months, I'll be 56. And in my life, Tim, it's radically changed. And you don't have to be, but even a teenager to know that there's been a lot of changes. And the question is, what do you do with those changes? How do you wrestle through a world that's rapidly changing? Let's be honest. In in my time, just in my lifetime, my short lifetime, I've seen uh, my own country that I love dearly uh, falter and fail so many ways publicly, to sin publicly, to go down pathways of disgrace. I've seen leaders, church leaders, religious leaders, political leaders, secular leaders uh, struggle. I've seen our culture drift away from what we would call Judeo-Christian ethics and values. What was in the Bible and what was so clear when I was a kid is no longer clear anymore. And what do you do with all that? If you're old enough to challenge yourself with it, what do you do with that? I mean, because the world is changing. I I thought about this. I thought just 2003, uh, the world had this SARS epidemic. And I remember watching the magazines and the articles and the news. And I saw people in China and Japan and Taiwan wearing these, wearing a mask. And I saw people in masks, just crowds of people wearing masks. And I thought, Wow, that would be weird. I, I hope I never do that, right? And now I, I went to Costco today, and of course, I, I just do this all the time. I left it on my dash, and I had to go back, and the gal was nice, but she was stern. I was not getting into Costco without a mask, right? That's the world we live in. How do you wrestle through that? What does it mean for you and for me to be a follower of Jesus Christ in a world that's rapidly looking less and less like Jesus Christ as the years go by? What would God be calling us to do? How would he be calling us to live? How would our our words change? What do we do with all that? Are you the kind of person, let's be honest, are you the kind of person that fights for the past to be the present? I've done that before. I want to hold on to things that are no longer there. I look back and I wish, God, what would it be like if we could still be doing that, right? You look at events, you look at times, you look at seasons. Our world has changed. America has changed. Our country has changed. And is the church keeping up? Is the church fighting? Is the church wrestling? A lot of times we get angry. I've seen that a lot. I've I've been on Facebook. We get angry. Social media, we vent and we steam and, and we spew because we're just so frustrated. We wish it weren't the way it is and we just vent this out and it's not healthy. It's toxic. Or do we just go along with it? Just go, whatever, you know? Let's just ignore all that. Let's just come together and we're gonna be okay. How do we figure this out? As a follower of Jesus Christ, what does it mean to live in a world that's not really ours? You see, that's what I want to talk about today. What does it mean to live in a world that we really don't belong to? We're here, but we're not tethered to it. Or maybe as followers of Christ, we're so tethered to it, we've never stopped to think, are we in it and of it? You know, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem, and he taught about this. He taught about life in this world in a way that I think we often forget. I know I've forgotten. I'm pretty sure you've forgotten too. Jesus said it this way. He says, if the world hates you, if the world, that's pretty strong, if the world hates you, remember 
remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. Wait a minute. What do you mean if you belong to it? Jesus says that we don't belong to it. He says, you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Now, you may not, you know, kind of think, well, I'm not sure about this hating thing. But I I really question the fact that I'm not a part of the world because I live in the world. I I work in the world. I I entertain in the world. I have my kids in the world. I have my business in the world. I vacation in the world. Everything in my life is I really am of the world and I'm in the world. What does that mean, Jesus? That I'm in a place that I'm not really a part of. Well, a, a little bit later that night, he's praying to God the Father on behalf of you and me. And he says this. He says about us, his disciples, They don't, you don't belong to this world any more than I do. That Jesus, we know he came down, he lived, he dwelt among us. He was the perfect God man. And he did this amazing life of loving and caring for the least, the last, and the lost and going and dying on a cross. And we get the fact that, yeah, he lived here, dwelt here. He came in a body as a baby and grew up as a young man. And then he went to heaven. We get that. But Jesus said in the same way, in the same way, we're like that. We're not a part of this world anymore. He actually, by salvation in Jesus, by becoming a follower of Jesus, believing in him, receiving his message, we have become a son, a daughter of God. And that means that we have been transferred out of this earthly kingdom into a brand new kingdom called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And yet we're still here. And Jesus says that we live in a world that's not our world anymore. What goes on in your heart and mind when you think about that? Because I don't often think about that. I'll just be completely frank as your pastor. I don't often consider it. I, I drive in the world. I shop in the world. I live in a world. And it's hard for me to see beyond this world. If I could just put those glasses on and see what the real world, my home, heaven looks like, what would change in my life? What would change in your life? I would say that some of us are probably so concerned about that, we've isolated ourselves from the world. We have drawn close to a few people and we've gathered together so close that we've pushed away anyone or anything of the world and we have tried to create a normal that doesn't exist anymore. That's our safety zone. I I grew up in that church. I grew up in that lifestyle where we gathered together and we built walls of safety to protect us from the big bad wolf out there who we knew was going to blow our house down. And all I know now as I look back on that, realizing it failed because the world wasn't the enemy. The world's the victim of the enemy. That people out there, whatever they're doing or saying, they're really following what the Bible says is their father, the enemy of our souls. And some of you you, you look at Christians, you look at church people, and you're watching or you're here in one of the rooms, and you're going, yeah, I see that disconnect. I see people who say yes to Jesus, who sing the songs, who go to church and do these things, uh, but then, you know, at work or at the gym or at shopping or just life, I know they're radically different. And you would say, these people actually aren't just in the world, they're of the world, and they don't know the difference. What, what do we do as followers of Jesus Christ What perspective should we have? This week and then in the following several months, we're going to take a look at 1 Peter. Uh, Peter, the disciple of Jesus, the one who uh, was that radical guy that ended up leading the church in Jerusalem, who had stumbled and, and, you know, made some mistakes as a disciple under Jesus. He became this phenomenal leader 
of the church and that he went out then and he wrote a letter, a couple letters, but the first one he wrote specifically to followers of Jesus who were scattered, to Jewish believers who had, because of persecution, been pushed out to the extremes, that they were exiles. And he wrote to them that their perspective should be different. Even though they're no longer in the safety and comfort of their home, that they're in the safety and comfort of God. And in God's people, they're going to make a difference in the world. What do you do when your world changes around you? How do you live in the tension of that? What does it look like to be called an exile, to actually be a joyful exile? That's our series that we'll look at. Because I got to be honest with you, I don't think we're doing as well as we could be doing or should be doing. I put things on Facebook. I kind of test it and see. I throw a few thoughts out there. I just kind of see the responses. I toss a word out there just to see how we're doing. I don't think we're doing that well. And if you're not on Facebook, thank you, but maybe you're not doing well either. Because I don't think we know what it's like to not be a citizen of this place. By and large, I see followers of Christ running to politics, running to Washington, D.C., running to the past, to the history of our nation and saying, if we just reclaim this, everything will be fine again. I don't think it's going to be fine. I think that we're not destined for a world that's going to be fine. We are destined for a world that is not of this place in this location. Every year I read through the Bible and, and I'm just wrapping up the prophets. And I marvel at how pertinent it is for today because these Old Testament prophets writing to the Israelites, the people of God in the Old Testament, they're writing things that they could be writing to you and me today, writing about brokenness and repentance and coming away from sin and not adopting the culture of the world and being different and actually being such a light that lost people would come and flock to the place of God. I'll be honest with you, I think we need a revival. We need a brokenness. We need a repentance. Because as followers of God today, we're living a lot like the Old Testament Israel. We need prophets of God to wake us up, to shake us up to the reality that we look too much like the world we live in. Now, if you if, just journey with me for a few moments. If you go back to that time period, if you know anything about the history of Israel, Israel is a nation that is divided in half. In the north, it's called Israel, 10 tribes. In the south, it's called Judah, two tribes. God judges Israel because they didn't even have one godly king and they were completely broken in their worship, completely sinful and immoral. And God takes them away through a nation called Assyria. He judges them. And not long after, he comes in 586 BC, he takes the nation of Judah, the two tribes in the south, and he carts them off to a place called Babylon. And as these believers are leaving, the leader of that, Nebuchadnezzar, has taken the best and the brightest, the artisans, the leaders, the sculptors, the people who are the, just the skilled poets, those young men and women who will be something great in the new land they're going to. And he takes them away with an intent and a purpose. And the intent is simply this that they would move into the culture of Babylon and they would integrate with that culture to the extent that they would then raise up the Babylonian culture, add new insight to it, new beauty, new art, new culture, new, new leadership, new perspective, and make a bigger and better Babylon. 
Well, if you read the book of Daniel, you know that's not what they wanted to do, right? They wanted to go back home, but they weren't going to go back home in their lifetime. So what do you do? Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, well, they went to work. They studied. They learned all the culture. They learned all the arts. They learned their jobs so well that they excelled and became the leaders of all the leaders. But they didn't become like Babylonians. See, even in this age today that you and I face, we have a struggle. What do we do? It's exactly what they were facing in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the prophet who writes to the nation of God and says, I know some of you, you want to move into Babylon because it's amazing. They've got the best shopping malls. They've got the best Tesla store. I mean, they've got all the best Apple computers. They've got everything. They've got the best clothes. There's a Nike store there. There's a Dick's Sporting Goods there. You could go there and you could get your, your tights. You could go there and get your coffees. You could go there and get all your travel gear. You could just go to the Babylonian mall and you could just have everything you want. And there were some that were saying, let's just go do that. God has abandoned us. Let's go endorse and just basically assimilate into this group. Then there were other people that are saying, no, no, God forbid that we would ever do that. We're the people of God. We've got to retain our godliness. So let's isolate ourselves, withdraw, build little colonies outside away, far away from, and let's just create a world that we're longing to recreate from our past. Let's just isolate ourselves. And into that, Jeremiah writes and says, don't assimilate. Don't become like them. But don't, don't go so far away that you become a different group of people. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to move in. I want, you to, I want you to permeate the culture. I want you to penetrate it. And I want you to change it because of your faith in God. Look what he says. It's beautiful. He says this in Jeremiah 29. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. So God has taken them out of the land, put them in a world. They're in a world that they're not of. And this is what he says, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. You see the perspective here? Don't just pull away. Go into because I've sent you there for a reason. And, and this is the key part, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Jeremiah 29, 47. If you're in our foyer, if you've ever noticed this, uh, we've got a picture that uh, our, our photo group, uh, one of our, our hobby groups, gathered of the community of Hillsboro, and I picked one because of the Civic Center. It's a downtown, the Tom Hughes Plaza, and the water is coming up in the it's just beautiful. I remember taking our kids there, my wife and I going there, enjoying that on a sunny Tuesday market or a Saturday market. You could see this in our foyer, and this verse is right there. Why? Because that's the posture I want Sunrise Church to always have, is to realize that, yeah, we don't really belong like everybody else does, but we're going we're gonna to work hard. We're going to work for peace. We're going to work for prosperity, and we're going to pray for our city. Because that is what God called Israel to do. And that is how Jesus lived. And that is what I know is the only thing that would change the culture around us. Let me stop right now, though. What comes more natural to you? Is it to uh, assimilate? Just to become like everybody else? If somebody were to look at you and hear that you were a Christian, would they be shocked? Or, or do you isolate? 
Are, are you so, so good at building a, a Christian subculture uh, of, of replicating whatever the world's doing and just putting Jesus on it and feeling confident about that? And then you're no earthly good, really, right? Or are you walking in the tension and the challenge of penetrating a culture and permeating a culture and bringing Jesus into those relationships, into the culture? Now, when I think about what Jeremiah wrote, when I think about the tension of that, I think about the fact that God has called you and me to live in such a way that we walk in two worlds. We live in the world. I live in Hillsboro with my family, just south of town. Maybe you live in Beaverton or you live in Forest Grove or Connecticut, so wherever you live. You live in a city, right? But you also live in another city. The Bible says you live in a heavenly city. Your citizenship is in heaven and that you don't belong to this place. How do you live in the tension of living between the two worlds? Well, Jeremiah says this is our posture. This is what we should be doing. This is how we should do it. He says, first of all, he says, think about peace. What is peace? Uh, In the Bible, in the Old Testament, the word peace is shalom. And it means this wholeness, this prosperity of peace, this, this soul that you bring into the midst of all your relationships that is as it should be. This is life as God intended, the fullness of God's peace. What would it look like for you and for me to be people of peace? My wife and I were driving through Portland the other night after a dinner, and we drove downtown, and we had to stop and take a look at something at a place, and um, it was getting dark, and uh, my wife was a little nervous about that. I'm like, that's okay. I've been around here, and we're just kind of driving around, and As I'm driving by uh, the beginning of the protest for that night, my heart aches. And I thought, and I'd do it if it wasn't for my wife being there, maybe I should stop and park the car and just walk over and ask people, how can I pray for you? Because, you know, let me just be honest, folks. I don't know that I agree with everything that's going on in Portland. I usually don't. But I know that there are people that are far from God that need Jesus And they're on one side or the other of that fence, right? And both sides need Jesus. And what would it look like for you to go down and just pray for people and say, I I am sorry for whatever you're angry about and whatever's going on, but I know this, God loves you. And God has a desire for you to be at peace. Or you could just pick up a picket sign and you could just spew vomit at people, right? Because a lot of Christians have been doing that lately. What does it mean to walk in peace as you walk in your workplace this week, as you walk in your neighborhood? Kids are going back to school, online, interacting with parents, interacting with teachers. What would it look like for you, mom and dad, to be a person of peace and actually bringing peace to that teacher's life? The second word is the word prosperity. And it is an interesting word because it just means exactly that. It means that life would be better, that there would be a more fullness of it, that there would be more wealth, there would be more uh, income that brought more stuff. I'm not ashamed of the word prosperity. We're not health and wealth prosperity preachers here at Sunrise, that's for sure. But God says that when you're living the way he wants you to in this season, he will prosper you. In fact, you should pray that your city prospers. Why? Because you live in it, right? I was talking to somebody in Costco, one of my friends, and we were talking about this very subject. We ran into each other and our carts smacked and we 
elbowed each other and kept our masks on. And we talked, and we talked about this very matter right here, that God has blessed our community with prosperity. And as a result of that, he's brought a lot of people in here that need to know Jesus. And we've talked about the blessing of that. Pray for the peace. Pray for the prosperity of your city. And it's that word pray. How often do you pray? How often do you walk your city and pray? God wants people to come to know him. Do we care about that? Is our posture towards our culture around us to run and hide or to throw stones or to walk in the midst of it and work for peace and work for prosperity and pray for them? I grew up going to a church long before I was a Christian that thought the way to win people to Jesus was to picket and to boycott and to throw stones. And I'm so glad God brought me out of that because that was a failed experiment in religious right. Because my friends, again, the only way there's ever going to be hope in our nation is if a revival and awakening starts in the church and then it spreads to the community. I love my church. I love you. But but I've just got to say this. We look too much like the world. We sound too much like the world. No one knows the difference. And we are like salt that is useless, that is just destined to be thrown out and trampled upon. We are like light that has been hid, that should be shining for all to see. Because I think we have assimilated too much into the world. And we have thought and we have hoped that if we become like them, they will be attractive to that. And they're not attracted to that. Because that's hypocrisy. What would look different would be a people who walk in peace, who walk in prayer, who pray for the peace and prosperity and work for that, for their culture. We cannot expect a secular culture to reflect biblical values. And so just getting angry at people is not helpful is not going to win a heart to Jesus. Too many times we forget that we are aliens and strangers in this world, that we do not belong to this world. And in this series in 1 Peter, we're going to see that exact thing. In fact, I want to tease you with a passage we'll see next week and in weeks to come, and it's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and it says this, Dear friends, I warn you, I warn you, I want you to wake up to this, Peter says, as temporary residents and foreigners. We are the immigrants of our world today. I warn you, as temporary residents, as as joyful exiles of your world, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. We're, gonna, we're just going to expand on that for weeks to come. What does it mean to live as resident aliens? Not tourists, but not people that have settled down forever, but people that move in and learn how to live a life amongst people that are not like us and to be people that are different for the sake of not just being weird, but being peculiar enough to where people would see us and see Jesus in us. I love history, and I read about the early church a lot and the growth of the church in the first 300 years in particular. And I ran across a letter of a believer who wrote 100 years after Jesus died. And I want to read that letter, go through it, 
And if you want to catch it, you can download these notes on our, on our page at isunrise.com because I think it's really good. Asking yourself, is that what I look like? Is that how I sound? Is that how I live? Because this brought insight to me that in the middle of intense persecution, this is how this believer was describing the followers of Jesus Christ. Let me read this to you. For the Christians, and he's giving a, an argument of his faith, for the Christians are distinguished from other men neither by country nor language nor the customs which they observe. For they neither inhabit cities of their own, nor employ a peculiar form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity. In other words, we don't really look a lot different in one way. Their course of conduct which they follow has not been devised by any speculation or deliberation of inquisitive men. Nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves as advocates of any merely human doctrines, but... Inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, according as the lot of each of them has determined, and following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct. Again, we look like them is what he's saying. We live like them. We're not that odd. They displayed to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. Their lives are different. He says they dwell in our own countries, but simply as sojourners, foreigners, aliens, As citizens, they share in all things with us and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as a native country and every land of their birth is as a land of strangers. They marry as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. That was a cultural thing in Rome. A lot of abortion and infanticide, they would kill their young when they didn't want them. They have a common table, but not a common bed. A very secular, perverse culture swapping spouses left and right. They share a common table. They welcome all people in, but they don't welcome them into their bed. They're different. They're in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet in their, very dishon- in, in their lives they dishonor and are glorified. They are, ev- they are spoken evil of, and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay with the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. These are peculiar people. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks, yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. I don't know what life's going to look like in 20, 30, 40 years. I just don't see it getting any better for followers of Jesus Christ, I'll say that. But what would it look like if it didn't matter to us what happened in the world? But we lived in such a way that we were profoundly in love with Jesus And in a very profound way, people saw that. Some would be attracted, some would be repelled, but one thing would be sure, they would know we're different because we follow a different culture. In John 18, 36, Jesus says this when he's being questioned by the Roman authority. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm here to say that a lot of times as followers of Christ, We want to prove Jesus wrong. 
and we want to build a Christian kingdom on the planet. But that is not what God has called us to do. And so a few questions as we draw to a close. How do you live in a world that's not your own? How do you distinguish yourself as a follower of Jesus? Not necessarily in clothing and style of car or house or whatever, not necessarily, but in conduct and behavior in love for others. How are you different? Is that difference attractive? Is it odd? Does it cause people to question? Do people look up to you and go, I just need to sit down and ask you this. Why are you so calm when everything is blowing up around you? Why are you walking the halls praying? What is it with you that brings peace into every situation and circumstance? How do you live like a resident alien? Uh, Do you like some people? Do you assimilate into the culture? Or like other Christians, do you isolate from the culture? Or do you devise ways to penetrate the culture with the message of Jesus Christ? Here's one that I wrestle with. I'll just be frank. How do you not love the world as far as the stuff of the world, but live differently enough to love the people who are lost and in need of Jesus? How do you faithfully live for God while in exile in Babylon? And in the weeks to come, we're going to dig into this every weekend. Every Sunday, we're going to ask these questions. As we see Peter writing to exiles, to resident aliens who are persecuted and in the year to come will be even more persecuted and say, don't give up hope. Live life of joy in the midst of exile because that is where Jesus shows up the best. Let's pray together. Father God, a world all around us is falling apart, it's broken. It is literally on fire right now. And yet we can live with calm assurance of your love for us. We can stand on a solid rock of Jesus Christ. We cannot worry. We cannot walk around and fret. We cannot panic and roll around. We can walk with confidence Not because of ourselves, but because we follow you. You're a God who walked this earth, was persecuted, was cast down, was destroyed, but you rose again. And we are people who hope in that same resurrection. But that will come with persecution. That will come with struggle. We live in an age that is rapidly falling apart at the seams. And yet into that, the gospel can shine even brighter. God, convict our hearts if we look too much like the world, if we've loved too much of the world. Convict our hearts if we've drawn back and don't care about the world anymore. Move us to be people who look like Jesus in a world that looks nothing like Jesus. Put a burden on our hearts for the hurting and the broken, the least, the last, and the lost, that we would step out of what's comfortable for us, what's safe for us to risk everything so that people could see Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.